Well, hello there, and welcome to this. this is episode 12 of the Garth Boot Podcast. And on this episode, I got a chance to uh, sit down. Um, actually, technically, I lied down. We were all laid on some grass in a field in Leeds with me and my guest, Phil Lee. Um, Phil Lee is a guy that I spend um, some time with walking. He's um, an interesting fella. And it was nice to talk to him about how he got into walking, a little bit about his background. So we discussed leadership, walking. And uh, it's an interesting podcast. I certainly enjoyed uh, recording it. So I hope you enjoy listening to it. So here we go with episode 12. Enjoy. There you go, alive. Cool. Oh, you sound husky, Phil. <laughs> you sound loud. Let me just lower you down a bit. Do you know what? I th- this is exciting and challenging for me, Phil. Really? Why? Well, it's exciting because I've always wanted to chat to you on on this podcast. And it's challenging because you're probably the only bloke I know that talks more than me. <laughs> so, so, so we we have to um, we have to manage that. You brought me to the lovely part of this, uh, not far from you at all. This is so. This is Leeds Beckett. So we're in we're in the grounds of Leeds Beckett. Yep, the college in Headingley, Leeds. Beautiful day. Do you know it's warmer now, or warmer here than it is in Spain? Rightly so, Gareth. And uh, I have to say, when you sat out here, you wouldn't think that we're in the middle of what is quite um, a surreal time. Yeah. I wanted to tip on that with you because the, the, the reason you're on here is you are. I mean, I, I was going to start off by saying that, you know, the man, the myth, the legend that is Phil Lee. But you, you've kind of been in my life now for about ooh, five years, I think, we first met each other. And we, we met in not the best circumstances, not that we fell out of, but we were having to deal with something that was a little bit weird to deal with and some legalities that we were both involved in. And then I became aware that you were into walking. And... and Every time I used to go out walking somewhere, and this wouldn't matter whether it was up around Nidderdale, Three Peaks, you were always there. <laughs> I mean, literally always, I kept bumping, I must have bumped into you four times. Now, what are the odds of that? <laughs> you know, when you are thinking about buying a new car. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> are you the equivalent to uh, the, the, the Ford Anglia? I want a new Ford Anglia, and everyone appears. Oh, uh, that's it. But uh, the, the, there was, what's interesting, and why I've wanted to this for some time, is... And, and I, I don't say this to um, embarrass you, you know, I wouldn't have the interest in walking that I have and the knowledge I have if it wasn't for you. And I think that certainly you, you know my partner, Sue, you know, Sue, she got me into walking um, and you kind of allowed me to enjoy walking. I never enjoyed walking. Then I started going with you and you, you had this way of getting people to walk with you in some quite difficult conditions because let's be fair we're not talking about walking around a park you know we're talking about three peaks we're talking about hills and dales and you have this knowledge of of uh, of walking which i really wanted to to get across to people listening to the podcast that the the kind of idea that what is walking all about how did you get into it but also interestingly what it must feel like for you to be somewhat caged at the moment because you're a man that's always out somewhere are you (laughs) <laughs> well, somebody was asking me, what do you do when you have some time off? And I was thinking, time off, what's that? You know, because my day job, if you like, when I'm working with companies and we're, we're doing training, development, all that usual kind of stuff, and then the weekends come along and lo and behold, I'm taking groups around. Yep, you mentioned the Yorkshire Three Peaks there. 
the National Three Peaks, the World 3000s. Oh, we're out all the time in all kinds of weather. Um, one of the questions you asked me was, how did I get into this? Yeah, that's, that's the interesting thing, because when I, when I first met you, it, it came from, I knew you were ex-military. And, and, and that's the kind of the first thing. And I remember seeing a picture of you, because you were in a group, and I saw a picture on Facebook, and you look quite a... You, you look like a character I won't want to fall out with. You know what I mean? You're, you're not, <laughs> I know you're a bit of a you're a little sweetheart and a bit of a teddy bear, but deep down I'm thinking, I won't want to upset this fella. So you had that kind of, you had a very military look about you. So is it the military that got you into walking or is it the walking that got you into the military? Did, did, which, which came first? No, actually uh, walking was very therape- therapeutic for me before I joined the army. Um, you may or may not know, I was in children's homes as a, as a child and I think um, where I lived wasn't too far from the countryside. So I think for me, it was useful just to get away from the home and go walking, clear my mind, uh, and perhaps even just use the outdoors to forget some of the inner turmoil that I was going through. Going in the army was taking it up several notches, um, especially in the unit that I ended up in. I ended up in a, in a guard's Guards unit. So that was the Coldstream, wasn't it? I joined are the Coldstream Guards. they the dudes that, with the big hats? What are they called? Yeah, the Bearskins. Yeah, Bearskins, tunics, Trooping of the Colour, Queen's Guards, all of that stuff. You know. So um, eight years later, uh, I left the military. <clears throat> and uh, I, I started working. I, the only job I could get at the time was in sales and found myself in the recruitment sector. Um, working long days, long very long days, making the company money, doing all that kind of stuff. Sitting down a lot, and I developed sciatica. So I'd gone from being what I would class as being pretty fit, running marathons, all that kind of stuff, to struggling to even walk to the car. So, um, yeah, uh, things needed to change for me. And things changed when I was offered an opportunity um, over in Leeds, actually, where, where we are at the minute. Um, and I moved to Leeds and I had more time on my hands and I just started walking around the park and I found my sciatica was getting easier I wasn't in so much pain so I was doing a little bit more and I thought I wonder if I can start pumping the distance out and that's how it started Gareth so you so you because you you said you've done marathons and I mean I've never had the um, I've never tried a marathon um, I've walked some distance. So when when you were doing your marathons and things like that, mm. were that all roads or were you doing them trails and were that pretty much road running? Well, I'd covered long distances, a lot further than marathons, whilst running in the in military and the train and the various trails I've been on all over the place. So I found marathon running actually dull. Um, I didn't enjoy it. Uh, yes, you're running with a lot of people. Yes, the training can be a lot of fun as you're building the miles up, but. You know what? Pounding those pavements just did not like my fuse, so I knew things had to change. Because I mean, we've we've been out walking many times, and the, the, I remember once we went out walking one evening. We did a bit of nighttime navigation um, up to what them is it? Armcliff Rocks. Where, where did we go? Yeah, Armscliff. That where you set off them incendiary devices. <laughs> you mean the fireworks? <laughs> you set because off it fireworks. was November. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just sounded more impressive than incendiary devices. But I remember we went up there. That's when you started talking about because the other thing that, that about you is that you you were talking about how, how it was important to you when you were younger, and it wasn't just about being outdoors. You knew a lot about the outdoors, 
like you knew a lot about different um, mushrooms and things and, and, and stuff that I, I kind of, I'm not saying I wouldn't have expected. You had a, you had a really, you were, you seemed always connected. When you're outside, you feel like you're connected to something that's just a bit more than exercise. Like it goes deeper with you. Mm. And 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 when when we went out that night, um, and you were showing us this, you like said, "Oh, there's mushrooms," and, we, and I'd never seen stuff like this. You know, so it's it's a good point. I, th- I think, I guess it goes back to when I was a kid. I used to observe and take. I don't know a great deal of satisfaction in just observing stuff around me. There's no way I could pronounce the name of many of these mushrooms, but it was pretty, and it was unusual, and they only come round once a year. So I, I, I think one of the things I've found from not just being in business, but certainly the outdoorsy stuff, is how much we miss. Well, isn't that, I mean, you know, I think the, the having a, we've both an experience in business and, the, and that background, I think that's the mistake most businesses do make. They don't see the little detail. And, and you miss what's, and almost the thing with walking and being outside is, you have to be aware of conditions. It's like today. There's two things I'm aware of. One is me and you and neither of us are particularly dark-skinned, Philip. Um, we're both quite freckly and, and red. And it's 26 degrees. And I don't think we've got a lot of suntan cream on between us. You mean we're a pair of gingers who are going to fry? A pair of gingers are going to fry. So it's like being aware of the conditions. And I think that's when I've been out with you, and it's something I've become more aware of, is how many people set off ill-prepared for a walk. Well, it's interesting you say that, Gareth, because... In my hand, you've got a hat. <laughs> I, uh, it's a sun hat, so uh, I'll be okay. And I've got a bottle of water here to put you out when you start frying. Uh, I'll be right. But I think, like with walking as with business, a lot of businesses don't, they don't see the f- what's coming. They don't prepare properly. Yeah. And I know you're big into not just, and the one thing you bring into, in, into business is that kind of a concept of how we get strong leadership. Because whether you're on a hill walking with a group of people that are in your command because they are putting their faith in you, I mean, I've, I have done walks with you with people that, you know, they trust you. They trust you implicitly. I do. If you said we're going up this way and we're safe. So, like anything, part of it is not being able to see what's coming. So, you, so your leadership skills, that, you, that I'm guessing that must have been developed uh, quite a lot in the army. Yeah, no question. I had no idea what leadership was until I joined the military. And in the military, they, they insist on teaching leadership at the lowest level, you know, as a young private soldier, uh, because you may be forced to take uh, responsibility for a scenario not of your making. So going into business later on, it struck me that that rarely happens. What normally happens in a lot of businesses, the leaders are the leaders. And unless you're a leader, you're not getting any training. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it's one of the things that I, I wouldn't insist on, but I'd certainly encourage all businesses to, to, to teach leadership principles to everybody. Well, I, I think as well, when you understand principles of leading teams, it, it helps you lead yourself. Because in a lot of cases, the, 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 you know, we both have this qualification, NLP, and to some people, it thinks they must think of something like mind Jedi's, and it's not that. I've always seen NLP as a way of learning how things happened, how, about human behavior works, and also being able to systemize something if some modeling as we both know you know you copy how somebody else did something i love to see that you know phil sorry if, if you're watching this or you're not watching this you listen to this a guy just ran past looking rather fit with a bit of a mask on look at that 
like a gazelle, Phil. Startled the gazelle. But I think this idea of, of getting people to to get into leadership, even in their own families, because I would think if, if you have a family, you, you know, there's a leadership role to play in that. What, what's your view on... I, I want to ask you this, because you are, you are quite um, down to earth and you do t- say how it is. Call a spade a spade. <laughs> what do you think of the level of kind of resilience and leadership in young people these days? Ooh, great question. Well, when you bear in mind that there are thousands of young people in this country who are looking after their parents who are ill. Excellent. When you think about the thousands of young people who are making money online, the thousands of young people who are inspiring others through TikTok and all these other fun apps, I think the young today get given a bit of a hard time. Um, the, the young have always had boundless enthusiasm and energy and creativity. And that needs recognising. I think the older generation are guilty of dampening that. Um, you know, the media that are constantly droning on about doom and gloom stuff. You know, and the young people really need recognising for leadership traits that are not recognised in them, which, one of which being inspiration. We want leaders who inspire others. This country needs leaders to inspire them right now in this moment of great crisis. You know, and um, I, think, I think young people are lots and lots of that naturally. Do you think, I mean, I'm kind of leading this back into walking because it's the one thing I've noticed when we are out walking these days, especially the Three Peaks, there seems to be a lot more younger people taking that route on. I'm talking about the Three Peaks of Yorkshire. So for anybody who's listening to this that's not from Yorkshire or from England, um, I'll let, let Phil explain briefly what the Three Peaks is, the Three Peaks of Yorkshire. Mm. So how would you describe that? How would you, if you were trying to sell that to somebody, you know, what is it? What's the event or what is the, the challenge? Yeah, the Yorkshire Three Peaks. So I, I believe the Yorkshire Three Peaks is one of the most breathtaking areas anywhere. I've, tra- I've been very fortunate. I've managed to travel all over the world. And I'm always drawn back to the Yorkshire Dales. And right at the heart of the Yorkshire Dales are Three Peaks. Those Three Peaks being Penagent, Wernside and Ingleborough. It's typically limestone. Um, it's a limestone region, so lots of caves, lots of lots of crags and rocks and things. Um, and the three peaks, each one is not particularly that challenging, really. They're about 2,000 feet high. Um, but the route itself is 24 and a half miles, um, which is a full day's hard walking. And you're really hoping for a good day's weather. And that, <laughs> that's the Yorkshire Three Peaks gamble because you just do not know what you're going to get. Well, the interesting thing, I remember the first time I ever did that and I was ill-prepared and I fell in a bog because you'll remember it. You've done it many years and many more times than me. But when you were coming off Penny again, which is the first peak, you used to go across country, straight mm. across the bog and I fell in the bog. Now there's a, there's a path around it. But what I, what I think is encouraging when you're up there is how many people now are taking that on, younger people. Um, and uh, there seems to be a desire now to go outside more. would agree. Um, I think my observation, when I started doing all this stuff years and years and years ago, when I was doing hard endurance hikes, the only other people you'd see were geography teachers, typically. Geography Hell, teachers. Yeah, they're ramblers, you know. Um, whereas now... Uh, there's been a huge shift. We're seeing so many more women on the peaks, um, younger people on the peaks. When we put events on, um, it's probably 80% female now. So, 
Yeah, I mean the the Yorkshire three picks are available to everybody. Why do you think that is, Phil? Because I I wrote a blog the other day and it was called Where the Men Are, because I've noticed on the morning just walking or running on the morning, and when we go walking, it must be seventy thirty in favour of women over men. Yeah, and I I put it down to I, I, this is a you know this is two blokes asking, but you may ask a woman this. It seems to be when men get to a certain age, they glory in the fact that they've got out of shape, overweight, like to watch football, watch, you know, do nothing. And the missuses seem to get this kind of second wind and care about how they look and care about the, the health and the fitness. Mm. And I've, in your groups that you walk with, you've got some strong walking women in there. Yeah, super fit. You know, um, maybe, maybe there is a, a clue in that. Uh, I just think society's changed. You know, y you look at the number of outdoor-based activities that are available to people nowadays that weren't available for us. You know, you and I are both in our 20s, 30s. Anybody else would say you're both in your 50s, give yeah. over. Um, and of course, back in their day, walking was really for your ramblers and so on and so forth. So whereas now, you've all these outdoor activities going on and ultra-marathons and tough mudders. Funnily enough, I'm wearing a Tough Mudder t-shirt. I did notice that, and it's not just the Tough Mudder, it's the full Tough Mudder. Yeah, yeah. I took the crew on it, actually. I took the team on it. But do you do you think... That one thing I've noticed, it's an observation, so you know, I'm sure you'll tell me you think I'm wrong with this. Because we've made these places more accessible, so like now, if you think about getting to the top of... Probably the only one of the national three peaks that is probably the most... The most challenging has got to be Ben Nevis, to anybody that's never done it before. But getting up Snowden is not difficult. There's a, there's a track, it's easy parking, blah, blah, blah. And it's allowed the, these routes to become more accessible. But what I don't think some of these people do understand is maybe some of the country codes, how to behave in the country. Because there's a lot of... The one thing about Horton, where the, the Three Peaks is, is, is centred around, is that there seems to be this issue about people getting up, getting there early, making a lot of noise, carrying on. Now, do you think that's a genuine observation and concern for the for the relatives or the the um, residents or is it the fact they've just been awkward <laughs> uh, look it's an issue it really is we have a code of conduct uh, with my business and i insist everybody reads it. it's part parcel of the t's and c's terms and conditions you know we care about the locals we pretty much know many of their first names their families we care about them we care about their businesses we care about the environment um, but getting people to honour it is a separate issue because that's personal responsibility, isn't it? I think so. Um, but the one thing you do every year as well, which I think is really interesting, is you have the, the bag sweep or the, what do you call it? The litter sweep. So you go around, so Phil takes his team and his crew around with black bin liners and pick up any discarded gels, bits of rubbish on, on the three peaks. And, and that has got to be a massive help to the, the environment. And secondly, that's got to send... Um, uh, that's a statement of intent, I would have said, to the locals. So, look, we, we, we do respect what you're doing. Yeah, uh, and we do it for all those reasons. And because we care about the place. So, And it's not lip service. It's we care about the place. I'm a Yorkshireman. I love Yorkshire. <laughs> We've got some brilliant places. I love the Yorkshire Dales. You know, I'm passionate that other people take the same level of interest and the love for that place as, as what I do. And, I, you know, my crew are brilliant. They've been with me for a long time. And they all feel the same. So we try and get that through to our clients. Um, whether or not we're that effective actually matters little in my opinion. I think you have, um, 
I know people that have walked with you, and I've seen. I have. I have been and and walked with other people that have guided. The other thing that you do very well is you are very good at ensuring people enjoy the experience. You don't leave people behind. And that that's something I got to say. I've always respected about you when you walked. Is you made sure everybody got around. You made sure everybody enjoyed it. I have been on another walking um, expedition where you just think we were getting rushed a bit here and there were no kind of concern for everybody. But you seem to have that, and it's not just you, it's your entire crew, they seem to have a genuine concern that everybody, uh, A, gets around safely, which is by far the most important thing, and secondly, enjoys that. Mm, care for so everybody. And that runs through, does, I mean, that's, is that, that is something I think you must, is it conscious that that runs through Cooter or is that just, has that naturally happened with the people you brought in? I, do you know what, genuinely, it, it's very easy in society to run things down and the military get run down big time, you know, why would you want to go in the army, blah, blah. But actually, in the military, um, as a former section commander, you're taught to care for every single soldier. For obvious reasons, you don't know that soldier might be saving your life. So you've got to care for everybody. And yet, it, it, sometimes it's not always possible to do that. But in an outdoor environment, taking groups out, I still have the same belief. Give everybody the very best experience you can. Uh, do our best to kind of inspire them so that they feel the love, not just from us, for them, but for the place that we're in. Let's not miss opportunity. What do you think this last eight weeks of lockdown has, has, has given us? Do you think, it, I mean, I wanted to, bear in mind, you know, we are we are social distancing as we record this, but we're still very much in, in lockdown, although I, I am allowed to drive up here and exercise, and we have walked here, so that's exercise. What do you hope we will learn out of this last eight weeks? What, what have you learned, really? What, what's been kind of, in, what have you said, you know what, I've learned that through lockdown. Is anything come to you like that? Yeah, yeah, I think... Um you know, none of us expected what's happened. Uh, and I'm sure we've got plenty more surprises out of us. I think this um, this is a great opportunity for leaders to, to stand up. I've, I've always said this, in that where you get chaos, leaders can really emerge. They can stand up and, and be seen, be heard, and start inspiring. And we need more of this. But, but you know what? The thing about this leadership thing is it's almost like it's an external thing. It's somebody else's responsibility. No, it's ours as parents, as partners, as moms, dads, you know, as business leaders. This is it. This is our chance to demonstrate leadership right now. I've, I've been, um, I've noticed something and, you know, you're into human behavior and this was not unexpected to me. In fact, it should have been expected by everybody is that we've gone from this kind of initial first couple of weeks where we were all missed together, the smile, happy faces around the table, you know, people working from home, this is fun. And I think it's got to a stage now where I'm starting to see there's a lot more blame game being played. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Mm. And I always think from my perspective as a leader, you have to take that responsibility. It doesn't matter. You know, you have to make a decision. You're not always going to get agreed with. Not always going to like you. But as long as at the core of your leadership is concerned for you, the team around you, I mean, I've, I always had this thing where people, pe when I managed my, my business and I had um, the staff, I, people would always say, oh, the customer's always right. I absolutely disagree with that. <laughs> um, normally, the customer's normally fucking wrong. Um, but the most important person, they say, well, it's always the most important person is the customer. For me, the most important person was, the, was your team you had, because if they were good, they would certainly look after the client better. You, um, you did the... Um, Another race I want to talk to you about because this was when you went from kind of 
Yeah, I quite like this guy into kind of into semi cult status in my eyes. For <laughs> when when you said, "Oh, I'm doing a, I'm doing a race." Really, what are you doing? I'm doing something called the Spine Race. Well, I've never heard of this. The Spine Race. What's that? And I looked into it, and and I'll explain this very succinctly. It's 268 miles up the centre of the UK on the Pennine Way. <laughs> and the people that set off, they do this in winter and summer. And they set off sometime, is it February? January. January. And they literally have to go from the starting Edale up to a place up in uh, Northumberland, Scott, whatever, Kirk Yetham, 268 miles. And you've got a week to do it. Yep. And all of a sudden then, Phil, I know I've even met him a couple of times, nice fella. It comes on Facebook, I'm doing Spine Race. And I just thought, fucking mental, what are you doing? <laughs> and I became absolutely 100% obsessed with following your dot, Phil. Oh, yeah. So for anybody who doesn't know what it is, the, the race gets tracked live. And you can see a little dot with a number at the side of it. And we, we did a dot with Phil. Now, it, it didn't maybe end how you wanted it to end. But you got quite a long way on that before your um, choice of footwear <laughs> Tell the story because I want to know two things. Really, because I've never asked you this, and I've always wanted to. Yeah. What was going on in your head before you took it on? Yeah. That's the first one. Secondly, what did it feel like at the eight o'clock on the? It was it Saturday you set off. Mm. Saturday morning when you're in Edale, right? Yeah. And and what did it feel like when you'd got kind of because you did quite a long way into it what did it feel like when you got in was it what you expected it to be how tough was it so firstly what were going to to go into it yeah. why did you take it on uh, i'll tell you so um i got back from america um i've been over there on a course and doing some training one thing you know i got back and i had a sports injury or so i thought it turned out it was a blood clot in my right calf and it, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, it got very it painful. Quite serious, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I was struggling to even walk to the car. It was, um, it was pretty grim. And I didn't know what it was. So I was doing all the usual rest, eyes, compression, elevation, blah. And eventually, it got to the point whereby I just couldn't sleep, and the painkillers weren't working. So went to the doctors, and they rushed me straight down to um, A and E. Uh, yep, blood clot. Gave me some heparin, um, and then threw me on a on another on another drug um and this was uh it was now january february and i'm thinking woo, i'm gonna have the season starting soon i can't even walk so the season being the walking season and um i was sitting at home i was just feeling really down and fed up and an advert for britain's most brutal race came up on facebook and it and it was yeah this is horrible wind snow rain 100 mile an hour winds and you know only, only 8% will finish it. And I just thought, that's it. I'm going to do that. So uh, I had somewhere in the region of around, in real terms, I actually only had around six months to train um, because I lost another three months in getting my walking back up. Uh, so that wasn't in any pain. And then I had to put together a pretty grueling training schedule. But remember, because I mean, I mean, you were doing the, the national three peaks. You've already said it's twenty-six miles. You're doing doubles of that, weren't you? You yeah. were around that twice. Yeah, I was doing double Yorkshire three peaks as well. You know, you've got to kind of do those distances. I was doing fifty-mile days with a big pack on. So, so, that, so the reason you did it was, oh, that looks good, eight percent. So it's almost like the gnarliness of it is what attracted you to it. Yeah, no question. Okay, so yeah, that's the point. You've trained. Yeah. Now it's Saturday. Yeah. In, in, you're in the in Edale. What's the what's the atmosphere like, and what were you feeling? Before that, 
I must say, gong goes off. They do the, the, the little buzzing. Yeah, yeah, it was brilliant. It was amazing. Um, so I remember uh, I got down there and I thought, yep, I've got this. I'm feeling really fit, really strong. I've got all the kit. So I was... I was as confident as I should. I wasn't overconfident. I was just, you know, pleasantly confident. I was looking forward to it. And I and I got myself in good nick for it, uh, considering that a year earlier I couldn't even walk. So I opened the boot of my car, um, and what was staring me in the face were two pairs of trainers. Well, I'll say fell shoes. Um, one was the pair I'd been wearing all summer and winter and trained in, and the other was a brand new oh. shiny pair of the same pair of trainers, may I add. And the brand new shiny pair were saying, pick me, pick me. You were seduced, Phil. I was seduced. <laughs> you were seduced by the new shiny pair. Yeah, so uh, like an idiot, I put the new ones on. So when you, when you set off, yeah. what, are you pumped with adrenaline? Is there yeah. adrenaline flowing through Yeah, you? yeah, they have this thing called spine fever, and I was, I was fueled with it. So this, don't run as soon as you start, because you've got 268 miles to go. So don't, don't head off like a startled... Because I would want to, the one I think I want to know, you can tell me, it's probably still fresh in your memory. Yeah. I know that route. Yeah. And the first two miles mm. is relatively flat. Yeah. And then you're with Jacob's Ladder. Yeah. And and that must be the time when you first start to realise that this starts to get, this is quite serious. No, you fly up Jacob's Ladder. Do you fly up yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're really fit, remember? So you've got up Jacob's Ladder. Yeah. And at this point, people, I mean, I've noticed when I've, when I've watched it in, in, year, in the subsequent years, by the time some people get to the top of Jacob's Ladder, some people aren't even out of almost the, the town of Edale. Yeah. So there's, there's a massive, it seems to be a massive spread of different speeds. Yeah. Where were you, Phil? Yeah. Were you <laughs> yeah, I was in the first third. I was flying. Yeah. And uh, there was, when we set off, it was funny because uh, most of the time, you know, there's not a great deal of water up there, but the place had been snowing, there loads of snow. So that what was a stream was suddenly a river that we had to wade through. Oh, dear me. So, yeah, I saw a, I saw a, a fence, uh, and I thought, ooh, that fence goes across the river. So, yeah, uh, do, 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 do. onto the fence I went. <laughs> I got halfway across the fence, and, the, and the, uh, the, the post just gave way, and in I went, and I was completely submerged. So you'd, you'd, you'd want these trainers, and I think, again, if, if people are new to any kind of walking if, if you're taking on hill walking they, they always people will say you know you should wear ankle support and this that, and the other i found that a lot of people now wearing these kind of the trail shoes out there really, that's what you were using they were with a speed cross yeah i use speed cross salomon speed cross shoes they were they were pretty popular um the light this they're, they're supposed to dry quickly yeah yeah so you had a pair of something special as well underneath them so let's let's get the full ensemble going here because you've got <laughs> these shoes which yeah. are not waterproof in the slightest yeah but to make them waterproof, you bought these near um, miracle kind of socks called the sealskins, <laughs> aren't they? Yeah. Which don't let any water in. That's right. But you also found... They let water they don't in. Let water, <laughs> they, they, once they've let water in, it, that ain't coming out. Yeah. So, you're f so what happened? Your foot oh, swelled yeah. up, didn't it? Yeah, so it's, it's quite typical when you're doing long distances for the feet to expand. Um, mine did. And... Um, I, I don't even remember the incident, but it was uh, while we were on kinder, I jumped off a rock, landed. I, you know, it, it wasn't a bad landing, but I just remember feeling it, thinking, ooh, have I done something there? Um, but I think because my feet were so cold with the snow um, and the adrenaline was pumping, yeah, the adrenaline. I just pushed on. Um, by the time I'd got to 10 miles, I knew I had a problem. 
this is what I found quite um, inspiring and also very typically, I'll say it now because I know you a bit more now, very typically Phil. If you're talking about getting this potential injury at kinder, that's literally only three or four miles into this. Was it five miles in kinder? Yeah, five miles. Five miles into 268. And you went on with this injury, and we did notice, because in, in the race, you start to see the little dot dropping back, and you could tell there was something not, not great. Um, how far did you get? Yeah, uh, 98. 98 miles. So you got all the way to the bottom of Penigent. Yeah, dropped into Horton. And I remember you saying, saying, I've decided to hang a left ear and get a breakfast. <laughs> how did that breakfast taste for I was devastated to be honest. Yeah, I knew you. Yeah, were. I was also in a lot of pain because I'd been leaning on my left leg. Yeah. My right. F- I, I, I found out I had stress fractures in my right foot. That's the bottom line. Um, so I was, I was leaning on my left leg, going up and down, and my left knee was in pieces by that point. So it was really whinging. I was. It was. It was. It was game over. So, so you think about that. So, well, you know, you, you didn't complete the spines, but let's just get this into context. When you're listening to this or watching this, if you're on YouTube, you went. On some of the most brutal countryside this country has got to throw at you, in some brutal weather, injured after 10 miles and managed to get another, just shy of 80 miles on top of that. Mm. Yep. I want to know what goes on between your ears to make you keep going like that. (laughs) Do you know what? I genuinely thought I could walk it off. (laughs) You walk it off? How far into the next 80 miles was it before you thought, I sitting cramp? I, I don't know. I just, I'm, 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 I'm quite a determined person. I think I, I, the painkillers I realised were causing me more problems than benefiting me. So I stopped taking those. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. The adrenaline. I just wanted to keep going. I wanted to get as far as I could. And I figured that if I could get to Hawes, I could have a really good break there. Um, change the shoes again, and yeah, go from there. But. I, it was my knee actually that put put pay to it. It was it's what got me starting to really see about how the outdoors and what you did. This this was not something you did on a weekend as a hobby. It, it, this you kind of lived and breathed this all the time. Mm. And it's like the Yorkshire three peaks. I mean, how many times would you guess you'd done that that twenty six mile route? Um, I, I I've been asked this question loads of times. I've lost count. It's over a hundred. And that, that for me, I don't know whether you find this. I, I, well, firstly, well, let's answer this each. What's your favourite, which, which is your favourite three peak? Oh, I might say, yeah, uh, Ingleborough, by far. Well, mine's Penny again. Is it? Yeah, and I'll tell you why. No matter how many times I've done it, and I've done it being unfit, I've done it a bit fitter, every time I go and I stand at the bottom of Penny again at Brackbottom and look up, I never cease to feel a little bit small and timid thinking bloody hell that's a big lump yeah and Ingleborough is is probably my um i say that's my second favorite because i think the view from the top there if you get it right it's great mm. so when you when you got to the this spine race and, and you'd done that i think it started to you were going to do it the did you were going to do it the year after or did you swear never to do it again no um i i yeah you've got to go back and do it again haven't you simple as that um, the cost of it's gone up somewhat. It's quite staggering now, isn't it? About 600 nickel. No, oh, and the rest, it's a thousand. Oh, because I was looking at the, the, the mini one. Yeah. Well, they call it a mini one. you still got to do 900. You, you mean the fun run? The f- <laughs> <laughs> That's what they call it. 
but but the one thing that's interesting about that is when you did it, it, it really kind of it, it really got me into looking at the spine race and looking at this kind of outdoors in a different way. But we've talked earlier about how a lot of my women are going out walking. Yeah. One of the most inspirational things I've ever seen in any endurance sport is what happened the year before last. Jasmine. The lassie Jasmine Paris who mm. set off and it, it almost was a sense that, oh, she's running with blokes at front. They're letting her keep up with them. That's nice. And it became very clear after about 12 or 24 hours this woman had gone set out to win that, hadn't she? <laughs> <laughs> she? She'd not turned up to make the numbers up. Yeah, let's not forget Jasmine Paris is a film runner of some standing. Yeah, exactly. She, uh, yeah, I mean, Jasmine Paris was incredible. I, I met her actually at uh, Hawes. And as she was saying, I remember looking at her thinking, she just looks so fresh. She's just run 100 and, what was it, 120 miles, I think. Well, what do you call your friend who did it? Because we, we, had, we had an evening you organised when a, a talker came out, somebody spoke who'd done the, the spine race. That last year, what was she called? Sarah, Sarah yeah. Fuller. Sarah Fuller was amazing. Sarah Fuller is inspiring. And she helped you to prepare somewhat. She gave you a bit. When, didn't, didn't she help yeah. you when you were doing your training? Yeah, I had no idea what it was. <laughs> so I met Sarah Fuller in Otley, just outside Leeds, over a coffee. And I remember saying to her, you know, yeah, you're, in, you're inspiring. And she was saying, nah, I'm not. I'm just a housewife from Otley who likes a pint. <laughs> yeah, she did come across as, as somebody that, that kind of took it all as a matter of fact, some of the stuff she did. Yeah, she was brilliant. She still is. She's still very much involved in the safety teams and helping out. And, and but you did uh, that the year before last, didn't you? Yeah. So what did it feel like to go back there? At the, you see, you'd done the spine race, then you go back to, to help out in the safety team. You must mm. see the race from a very different perspective. Yeah, because in a safety team, you you know, you're getting called out in all kinds of weathers to go up and assist, uh, you know, spine racers who are exhausted. Uh, they may be soaked to the skin. You know, the conditions are really grim. We had some guys to rescue off um, Great Shunafell, and um, and it was at night. I had to take a medic up with me. So you've got you've got a little team to look after at the same time, as well as looking after potentially injured. Uh, I risk, um, you know, races. So, uh, it, it, yeah, you take it seriously if you're on the safety team. But you you did that, and then the last time that I think I, I watched it, this in, um, which one did I watch last? Who won the last one? The lad from America. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. So what seems to have happened is there's a lot more women now at the front end of this. Yeah. The races are, are chomping times off these ultra marathons left, right, and centre. Mm. This, I think, is a, a testimony to how think how people have gone away from maybe where you started out doing marathons because they were boring. If you do twenty six miles, you might as well do twenty six miles in some beautiful countryside. I agree entirely. So if somebody, let's say now, you, you know, you are the the walking guru, somebody fancies getting into this kind of walking game. Mm. Where do you start? Uh, I I think people should do. So get some skills, um, you know, learn learn how to use a map. Um, plot some routes on a map is brilliant. Yeah. Well, so we'll start off with this. Is the, this is a little thing. It's, it's like Desert Island Discs, this, Phil. Yeah. This is called What's in Phil's Sack. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, right. Are you sure you want to so go there? We're going to go there. So now you are going out for a walk. Within that walk, you should have inside a yeah. waterproof sack. Yep. You can buy them under a tenner. Yep. That's the first thing you should buy if you're going to walk in. Right. What should be in the sack, Phil? What would be in Phil's sack? 
the 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 five things you must absolutely have when you leave the home yeah. to go walking, other than nipping to Chippy or down yeah. to Sainsbury's. Yeah, I think one of the most important things is a device that uh, you can use in the event of uh, either coming across a casualty or becoming one yourself. So mobile phone typically, um, whistle. Although I've been carrying a whistle since I. Yeah, since I was a kid, I guess, but I've never used one. one. Say, I've never used it. No, never. But you know how it works. The one time I don't have the whistle will be the one time that oh, wish I had the whistle. So yeah, for the sake of a couple of ounces, carry a whistle. Um, in the pack, I would probably say yeah, you get communication device. You've got waterproof jacket. Even on a hot day, I always carry one because if you come across a casualty, it's often you know hypothermia, cold-related stuff that tends to give people a really hard time so you might not the jacket might not be for you it might be for sticking on someone else first aid kit definitely um you prob- probably gather there's a lot of safety related stuff yeah. food and refreshments i need to mention that to you phil this is another question i have for you mm. when when was the last time you actually took your own refreshments on a walk because you've become quite famous for this phil you may not know this <laughs> Do you know what? I didn't even realise. Right. Oh, no, really, I didn't. Right. Um, you, I'm a snacker. I'm a grazer. But what Phil does is, he's like, <laughs> there used to be a, a program, I think it was called Snoopy. Uh, what was the one with Charlie Brown in it? Was that Snoopy? Oh, and she used to ask this question, what's in the bag? What you got in your bag? Yeah. And whenever it comes to break time, if you're out with a group, Phil descends. And, and it'd be really funny if you could do this in kind of a... A David Attenborough kind of thing because you know he lurks towards and if there's any sweet so, so you tend to eat a lot of other people's stuff but you are a grazer yeah I'm a grazer so you got to have some stuff for food yeah. this is kind of you know trying to keep this light really because you are funny when you're out you are very um, knowledgeable it's great fun to be with you but this year I experienced you in, in full mountain leader mode alright where was which, that? which was um, dusk going up Snowden so we'd done the National Three Peaks last September. Yeah. And um, I remember we, you know, we got, you, you, you said, look, there's a, there's a space, come and join. The, do you want to be involved? Oh, let's be involved. With about a, a week's notice. Now, you don't know this, but this turned my head to mush at home. I was saying, how oh, the fuck have you agreed to this for we Phil? Because mm-hmm. my partner, Sue, agreed to it. We'd done the Ben Nevis, challenging. We'd done the Scarfell, challenging. And we end up doing, the way we did it, we end up going up Snowden in dusk. Yeah. And as we go in there, we were having it lovely, everyone enjoying it. And then, Somebody heard a noise, and we couldn't quite make out what it was. Mm. What was it? And, and we know there'd been some guys earlier up. And what there was is, I'll explain it because I want to. I want to hear your bit on this, but I'll try to con- condense this a little bit. Somebody had actually injured themselves further down the route, going up to Snowden, just near a ridge. There were some people, and they were clearly trying to get the attention of a of an helicopter. Helicopter turns up, but also one of our crew, Alan, actually wanted. Alan says, I can hear something else. Mm. And I think all of us, including you, thought, I'm, I'm not sure we can. But he was so persistent yeah. to the point that you you must have recognised from the eye on, this guy's not taking the mickey here, there's something wrong here. And you set off up the side of this gully in Snowden to find something that may or may not have been there. None of us really knew what was going on. And, and I could see you went from this situation then where straight away this, you know, because we had been kind of la- very la- fat, laughing and joking going up. In fact, you were getting us to jump up and down on top of big rocks and taking pictures. We, it was fun. Mm. All of a sudden you changed. You went into this, wow, this is not fun anymore. Mm. Instructed the members of your team, continue up. I'm going to go this way. And um, what did you find up there, Phil? It wasn't exactly nothing, was it? No. It, yeah, you 
you were right. We we thought the noise was a sheep. The sound was not dissimilar. You know, it was windy day. It was getting dark. Uh, we probably only had 20 minutes uh, of light left. Um, and yeah, it was down to Alan. Uh, yeah, really, because uh, he was he was like, no, 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 I can really seriously, I can hear somebody shouting for help. Um, the helicopter was out for another a separate incident. Well, we walked up past the helicopter, and I mean, I'm sure you've you've obviously been in the military and you'll have had time to spend in helicopters. Mm. I've never experienced the the downdraft of an helicopter. That was ridiculous because we were walking right underneath where the helicopter was. I've never felt anything like it. Mm, yeah. But that, that lad, he'd, he'd literally slipped and broke his broke some bone. They were getting carried off. So yes, it was there. But you found this other casualty. Yeah, it turns out. Um, yeah, you may remember I instructed the group, told them what they needed to do. Uh, we could continue. I felt it was safe enough to do so. Um, I zapped up the side of the mountain and eventually found this guy. I could only just make him out. He was laid down. Um, yeah, so it got cracked fast. So he was scared. He was cold. He was. He had no food. His mobile phone had run out of charge. He had no hat, no gloves. He had nothing with him. The reality is he would have died, would he not? Uh, he would have uh, died. Yeah, there's a probability. We, we were looking at that point then. It was September. It was close to about 8 o'clock at night. Yeah. It wasn't going to get light again the next morning till 8 o'clock. That's mm. at least 12 hours of dark. Yeah. There were going to be no walkers behind us. There were nobody on the hill beside us. Oh, it was freezing. He was in a bad place. Um, and and he wasn't, it wasn't like this kid was... He wasn't an intelligent guy. There was a student, wasn't he? He was quite... Um, yeah. you know, and, and I just think at that point then, that's when I started to realise that when you're out with somebody walking and you're doing something that's challenging, you need somebody who knows what they're doing that can show leadership like that. Because firstly, watching you go up the side of that hill was impressive because you, you just shot up there. Um, but then when you came down with this guy, his little face, mm. because I think he knew how serious the problem was that he was facing. Yeah, he was in a bad way. He'd, he'd got himself lost, uh, got himself on the side of a uh, near Crib Gok and was terrified. So he just decided that was it. He just resigned himself to his fate. Okay. So we, we now know what's in Phil's sack. Nah. Yeah. When people are going out walking... And they are going to try some of these things, like Kribgok. I'm thinking of the other one. What's the one, Helvellyn? Where would you? Where, where do you? You mean Striding Edge? Striding Edge. Striding Edge. I think that it's something that people take on to. They don't understand the, the concept of heights and things like that. Mm. People are wanting to get into this. We can't quite be doing things like snow to start with. Where will they start off? I'm not talking about anybody that's a couch potato. But it's somebody that's maybe got into walking or running. But once a step out a bit more, would you get them to start in, would the three peaks be a good place to start, taking on one at a time? Yeah, doing one at a time. You know, I always say, look, walking should be discovery, fun, with some degree of risk, because otherwise, you know, it just becomes dull, doesn't it? So, but that, that's me. I, I like I like some degree of risk. I'm not a climber. I've never really been into the climbing thing. I like covering distance in gnarly conditions, you know, when it's wild and it's exciting. I I often joke with Sue about this because what happens up happening, if anything's going easy, I don't really like it. <laughs> yeah. So if it's hard, um, I like it. The, the first time I did the three peaks, I didn't want to do it. I wanted to stop after Penny again and I fell in a bog. And I knew as soon as I fell in the bog, I would do the three peaks because it gave it more of a, an edge. Yeah. The other thing you do as well is you inspire people, and I, I, I've never told you this, so I'm going to tell you now. When we did the National Three Peaks, 
My experience with Ben Nevis wasn't great. I, I got very cold to the point that I thought, oh, this is that. I'll tell you what actually was. I got to a point where I didn't give a shit. I thought, I don't mind. I'll just sit here for a bit. <laughs> I'd never experienced that drifting off, thankfully. The guy up there with us, Dave, and one of somebody brought some of these little uh, sweets out. They gave me a bit of a sugar bulge. I hadn't eaten enough. School by error. Mm-hmm. I'm having a game. Mm-hmm. But coming down, I thought, I said to Sue going down, I says, I ain't doing no more of these, right? I'm going to tell him I get back that van. I've had enough. I'm bailing out. <laughs> Sod him. He'll, what he says, you know, he's talking me into going up Snowden, yeah. uh, going up um, Scaffold Pike. And I realised when I got there, I thought, this, I'm not, I, I couldn't I couldn't tell you that. I couldn't say I'm stopping this because I thought, no way. He wouldn't do this. And I set off and I thought, I'll just see how I feel when I got out of the van at the other end. And then I asked him and saying to you, I said, I'll just see how far I can go. I'll go up and I'll way back if I need to. Part of what you do is you inspire people to push themselves in a sensible way, and I like that. Because you wouldn't have allowed me to go up Scarfell or any other hill if you knew there wasn't a reasonable chance of getting up there safely. Yeah, exactly. And what you've got a nice way of doing is allowing people to be inspired and give them a little bit of something, but you're also very safe. Thank you. Listen, you know, you have got this... You've brought my interest in walking up. I wanted people to listen to you because I think you're a fairly, certainly a funny character, as in, you know, comical. <laughs> but also, you have this genuine desire to have people to, to enjoy themselves, whatever they're doing. You've got a heart of gold. People look up to you. You've got loads of people that will, you know, speak very, very highly of you. What's next for Phil Lee in the challenge stake is what I want to know. Yeah, well, thanks. Well, I, I think... The next thing is maybe an event in January. So everybody's heard of the SAS, the Special Air Service Challenge, the Penafan. Um, and um, I, I think we're going to go down there and do that. They, there's, there's three events back to back. There's the 15 miles up and down it a couple of times, carrying a 35-pound pack. And then you do it again at night, so another 15 miles, and then again sometime in the middle of the morning. So so the sensible person yeah. might take the first one on, so I'll just go up and down. Yeah. That's a nice little thing. I'll get a medal and walk away. That's it. If anybody listening to this is probably going to guess now which one you've chosen, Phil. Yeah. You're in the full mashings, are you? Too right. <laughs> Savvy. The full mashings. Yeah. Do you think it's got a bit cooler, or is it me that's just got used to this weather? I I think my heart is going on right now. It's getting warm. Listen, Phil, I'm sure people will have appreciated little tips there. Funnily enough, I've got another one here. What's this? Right. I like this. Phil's, Phil's got a printout. So explain what's on the printout, because this is, this is something now... As well as being the walker, Phil is a very, very expert leadership coach. Life coach, business coach. He's worked with some very, very significant clients. And he's mustard, I think is the word. Cheers. So he's going to now impart some of his little, um, well, some of his, little, some of his, some of his vast knowledge into a, what something looks like. Is that an acronym? Yeah, I decided to play around with the COVID-19 thing. So he's come up with an acronym around COVID. I love this. Look at that. Yeah. Go on, Phil. Give us it. So I'm kind of the, I mentioned earlier about leaders. We're all leaders, aren't we, really, at some level? You know, we've all got followers, even if it's just our kids who blindly follow us. So um, all this doom and gloom flying around, I decided, right, COVID-19, it must mean something. So here we go. There's C, confidence. 
as I leaders. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got we, we, the confidence to be leaders, that is. You know, even if we're only just looking at other leaders and copying their way of leading or looking at, you know, when we've been a leader, strong leader before, drawing upon that and being confident in our ability to lead others in this difficult time. The O is ownership. On this moment, look, it's happened. We can't say it hasn't happened because it has. So we might as well take ownership for it and make the best of it as leaders. The V is visibility. Um, leaders don't hide when the proverbial hits the fan. They stand up. And, uh, yeah, visibility in what you say, don't say, do, and don't do. The I is to inspire. So this is a time to inspire people around us by being visible and, and, and by being confident and by taking ownership. The uh, D, COVID, the D is for delivery, because we must never forget that. And that is all about delivery. The, you know, people who we may be leading, their delivery, our role as a leader in delivering against their expectations of us as a leader. And then we've got the 19, COVID-19. The one is to rem so remember as leaders that everyone who we lead is unique. Everyone. And that means, you know, the subtle personal touches, giving them a call, taking an interest in them. And then we've got the nine. And I can't think of anything for nine, so it rhymes with wine. So let's raise a toast to those others around us who are struggling right now. Um, to our essential services, let's toast them. Uh, let's just have a toast anyway, just for the sake of it, and, uh, and remain light. You know, Phil, that's excellent. I'm, I can add nothing more to it, so I'm going to leave it there. All I will say is if you are interested in learning more about what Phil does in his company, if you go to www.kuta, which is k-u-t-a.co.uk, um, you'll see his website there. And certainly if you're in the, um, the north of England and you fancy a trip around some hills with somebody who's very good at what he does and will give you and your team an inspirational and safe day, get in touch with Phil. Thank you for giving us this time. You're very you look great in them headphones, <laughs> and um, <laughs> we, we, shall, um, we shall see how we both are tomorrow morning, yeah. but I suspect we'll be a little bit pink. So thank you for listening. Um, if you don't already subscribe to the podcast, consider doing so. And uh, once again, thanks to Phil. Until the next podcast, take care.